Good morning. I woke up this morning, looked out my window, said, what a beautiful day. Let's talk about hell in church. I brought a red folder. All my notes are in the red folder today. Kind of a method preacher. Let's go for it. Next week we're doing heaven. It'll be a yellow folder, I promise. Um, Hey, uh, there is so much spinning in my mind. I hope we get it all out in the next two hours and uh, we're going to have fun. Um, but you know, I also, in the midst of kind of levity, there, there, this is a heavy, heavy topic. And I, I, I want to just say from the very beginning, there are a lot of churches that don't do this. Um, but we want to because this is, this is an important topic. Jesus talks about hell quite a bit. In fact, no other person in the Bible talks about hell more than Jesus. I want you to think about what is it that comes to your mind when you think about hell? Is hell just some kind of divine overreaction to sin? Is God just like a little bit too upset about sin in the world and why can't he just get over it? I want to go through some of our questions, some of the objections. What do we believe here as a church? And and hopefully land in the same place. And and so we're going to just look at what happens after death. What happens after we die? A lot of our conception of, of what hell is we get from either the media, uh, a lot of it, even just we, we have this picture of the abyss that opens up and, and souls getting pulled down. You see some of the images there. A lot of what we get comes from Dante's Inferno, right? We have the, the tragedy of, of what's going on in the nine circles of hell and, and the abyss that, that goes on there. And I, I want us to just think a little bit this morning about what does all of this look like. We talk about hell in all kinds of ways. I looked up popular idioms on hell, and I want to just read some of them because this is the only day I can get away with this. We use the word hell in all kinds of ways. We say, a hell of a mess. I am in a living hell. All hell breaks loose. Uh, Be shot to hell. I've been to hell and back. Give them hell. Go to hell. Hell in a handbasket. That's what my dad says all the time about this world's going to hell in a handbasket. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. We have some of the husbands in man camp, I can say that. I'm all by myself, I feel like. No, guys, we got to stick together. Um, It'll be a cold day in hell. I've been put through hell. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. To scare the hell out of someone, there'll be hell to pay till hell freezes over. And then even this idea of, of hell on earth. Um, I, there has been all throughout history uh, beliefs that there are certain places in the world that were gateways to hell. You could literally tell somebody to go to hell and they would be thinking about certain places, certain things. There's some of these places, I'll just run through these real quick, but in Greece, Orpheus traveled down to Hades to rescue Eurydice and it was said to be through the cave at this place, Cave Matapan in, in Greece. In China, there's another story that goes along with this, that there's a hell gate that could be found. Um, and, and you go to some of these caves and there's stalactites and stalagmites and you go down, modern day beliefs, Mayans believe there's an entrance to the underworld. Uh, even in the United States, in New Orleans, 
voodoo mythology talks about uh, a place of purgatory. Uh, even where we just came back from a couple months ago in Turkey, uh, the Plutonian, uh, only recently discovered, but it was another gateway to hell. This one probably looks the most like what we would picture a gateway to hell being. This is in Japan, and there's this primordial form of a bubbling pool of hellish red slime. But now it has a health spa in the gift shop. It's really wonderful. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's one in, in Italy and, and one that, that was around in Jesus' time. Remember in Matthew 16, uh, he's, he's taking the disciples. He goes to Caesarea Philippi uh, where pan worship is taking place. And there's this cave here and they believed that this was the gate of Hades, uh, that he would go in and out of hell, come back to the underworld and, and back up here. Um, and this was the place that all of that uh, happened. And then we, we think about, so those are like the gateways, but then we also think about real life hell on earth. When we look at pictures of suffering, we look at our Christian friends uh, who are being persecuted and it looks like hell on earth. We look at, is it like 18,000 kids die every single day of starvation. There are parts of our world today where it feels like hell on earth. You have been in situations where you feel like the suffering has been so intense that it was hell on earth for you. Uh, there's, there's writings about... Uh, well, it's not even a writing. We, we watched this week as uh, Dokart Tsarnaev, uh, one of the, the instigators of the bombing in Boston for the Boston Marathon, he was sentenced this week. One of the places that he could have gone to for federal penitentiary, for it's, it's a supermax prison, it's called ADX, it's in Colorado. And I just thought this was interesting. I, I started reading about this. Um, it's the nation's most secure supermax prison. And it's built to cut the people off who go there. They're cut off completely from the world. There's heavily armed patrols that are, are sprawling the complex. But it says it, it, that they're, they're there and there's a dozen imposing gun towers that rise above the brick buildings. There's walls topped with razor wire. And they block the view from the snow-capped mountains. You look at an aerial view and it's totally beautiful. And they go in, and as they go in, it says, as soon as they come through the door, you see it in their faces. That is when reality hits you. You're looking at the beauty of the Rocky Mountains in the backdrop. When you get inside, that is the last time you will ever see it. They've designed the architecture so that from your cell in your, like, 14-inch window, you will never be able to see the sky. For the guys who are in there, it feels like hell. Um, I had my own experiences that felt like hell on earth. I uh, was doing a missions trip in Thailand. We went up to a refugee camp that's on the border of Myanmar, Burma. And we get into a hotel. Our guide gets there. And it was the worst hotel that I have ever been in. Uh, it wasn't just that there was a ceiling fan with only one blade that was left. There was a toilet with cockroaches all over. And the, the shower head was slightly just almost above the, the toilet. You could probably go to the restroom and get a shower at the same time. I looked at our tour guide and I said, man, I've never stayed in a one-star hotel before. He says, one star. He says, ah, negative one half star. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And we woke up five o'clock the next morning to a Muslim call to prayer. And I find that my, my worship team then with, is singing praises in the hallway because we felt the tangible oppression of that place. It felt like hell on earth. Now, 
I want us to think about the different options that, that happen after death. There is an outline in the bulletin you can kind of follow. Uh, there's a lot. I'm sorry, it's like eight-point font. Um, get a magnifying glass, but we had too much to fit on there. Um, but I want you to just look at some of these different options. And, and these are, are what people in the world believe. And I want to land with what is it that we believe. Um, we have naturalism. A naturalist believes that we don't have a soul, that we are just a body, that there is no existence after death. Um, we just go back into the ground and become one with nature. There's universalism. In the end, everyone goes to heaven. All paths lead to salvation, no matter what it is that you do here on earth. Reincarnation. Multiple successive lives. We die and return. It's if you don't at first succeed, then try, try, try again. And we keep coming back. Now, there's a line down the middle because on the other side, I, I want to just show you that there are some viewpoints here where for us within Christianity, um, I believe that there are people who can have a different viewpoint than us regarding this and still be in heaven. We'll get to heaven next week. But I want to, you just to see, and so that's where I, I, I draw a line. And so the ones on the left are the ones that I believe are, are out there, and, and those are for those who are unsaved. Um, but then we have a, a couple others. Annihilation. The idea for annihilation is that unbelievers could suffer for a bit in hell. There could be some period of suffering and then cease to exist after that suffering. Um, we don't know how long that could be, um, but the idea is that how could a God, a loving God, and this is an overriding question, have people suffer for an eternity? What if their sins only lasted for a decade here on earth? Is that a just and fair God to make them for the few decades of sin suffer for an eternity in hell. So it's almost begging on the mercy of God to annihilate their soul. They cease to exist. Um, the, the second council uh, in Constantinople, the years, the 6th century, I think it's 550, 553, something like that, they, they condemned it. They said that there is no post-mortem reconciliation response to God where we finally get there and we say, I get it. Um, this idea is not a biblical idea. And if you even take the idea of length of sin that has to be in line, in step with the punishment, you could kill somebody and that could take 10 seconds. Well, we don't have jail sentences that take 10 seconds and then you are set free. So that concept, I believe, is flawed. Uh, more of a Catholic belief that there is a purgatory, that people can die, they can suffer for a while, and they would, in this purgatory state, finish the work of salvation, and that this separation from God is redemptive. And so then, after that point, they can go to heaven. And what I would hold to is more of a biblical, orthodox view that says that punishment for the wicked is everlasting and that it is punitive and not redemptive. Uh, I want you to understand uh, <laughs> that there was a research study that came out from 
pew this week that, that said that Christianity is on the decline, but we're still somehow in the majority. Uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. I actually thought that I was in the majority of this. They, they say that it's somewhere around, it depends on what study, that 85% of Americans believe in heaven and usually 12 to 15 percent less believe in hell. We don't like to believe in hell. Uh, grabbed a camera, we went down to the orange circle, my hometown over there, and asked people the question, what happens after you die? And the responses floored me. This is what we captured. Hey, we're here at the orange circle, and we're going to talk to people about what they think happens to them after they die. Let's go talk to some people. Where do you think you go? What happens to you after you die? I think everyone goes to heaven. I would like to think that I'm going to go to heaven after I die. I think that your soul goes to heaven. You stay in the ground, you disintegrate, and your particles in your body go towards something else in nature. After you die, you move on to the astral plane. I mean, I think that there's an afterlife of some sort, but I don't know what the definition of it is. I think that nothing happens after you die. I think that we're nothing before we're born, and then... We're nothing after we die. Well, I, hopefully I go to heaven. I'm hoping I go to heaven. That's what I think would happen after I die. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so uh, heaven is my home. I imagine that we go back home. Our, you know, our energy body or our soul, if you will, um, reconnects with our true home. And I believe that we're just here on earth experiencing this manifestation in this dimension. I think you go to heaven or hell, depending on what you did or and who you believed in. Well, you live for eternity. Where? One of only two places. And what are your options? In the light or in the dark. <laughs> what do you... God God, God, with God or with yourself for eternity. Do you believe in heaven or hell? No. Not really. No. No. No, I think that uh, hell is sort of um, distance from God. So if you've um, not grown spiritually on this plane, then you are farther away from God. And if you are, have developed spiritually, then you are closer to God when you die. If you need to uh, correct a lot of stuff, you come back here. You get reincarnated. Well, I believe that you create your own hell. So if you're going to live in a miserable life and do terrible things, you're going to serve those consequences in the life that you have right here and right now. Um, I believe hell is not following God, honestly, because I've, I've been there. It feels like you're just always anxious. You're always fearful. You're always um, depressed. And uh, there's no goal. There's no purpose. That's hell to me. I, I don't know what happens after we die. Do you believe in hell? I do. Yes, I'd like to think not a whole lot of people end up there, but I do believe it exists. Oh gosh, I think that people who deny Christ go to hell, I guess, which is really sad to think about, but anyone who denies him, that is where their fate lies. It's probably just a place filled with all the things that you never wish to happen to you, just kind of... Um, all the negative things that you never hoped to occur. Just those feelings. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is in charge of hell? Ooh. Satan, I guess. Whether it's burning flames or not, a cold can burn just as much. 
And I think it has to do with uh, not only is separate, but I think at the time of judgment, everybody's going to see heaven. And then those who have chosen not to be there won't be. And they will spend eternity pondering what they could have had and receiving what they should get based on their actions here on earth during this life. I've never died and come back, so I can't say for sure. I just know what it feels like to be with God and to be without. We have some different opinions, huh? There's a lot out there. I thought there would be more that was right on board with us. I, I want us to just dive in and give some clarity because we're, we're messed up. Now, in the outlines, I give you just some biblical terms that are describing where the dead are. Now, one of them is, is Sheol. Sheol is this Old Testament term to, talking about the grave or death. It doesn't necessarily refer to hell specifically. It's, it's described as this, this, this underworld, this, this holding tank. And, and I want you even just to get the idea of, of the Hebrew mindset. What was the Hebrew conception of the universe? There's a lot of pictures that look somewhat like this. Um, but when you, you read some of the passages of scripture that, that talk about a description of what the world is like, that, that the world is, is founded on the pillars of, of the earth. And you have Sheol was this, this place that was underneath. And it, there, was, there was influence. There were people throughout civilizations that, that believed even the sun god, Shamash, would, would come up from the underworld and the sun would rise. It was the sun god that would come out and it would, would be with us for the, the day. And as the sun set, it would go back down under to the underworld. And there was this concept of Sheol is this underground and we have heaven up above and it's through the firmament and there's these gaps in the sky and that's how we were able to have rain and how we were able to have these different things. Now this is the idea um, that's going through but then you also have um, these other ideas of, of Hades which is a Greek term that usually refers to hell. It's a place of torment and then Jesus talks about Gehenna. Gehenna is a, is a Greek term that always refers to hell. Um, when Jesus is saying, this is what hell is like, he's referring to this place um, that, that they would have been very familiar with uh, first century. Uh, there's a, the Hinnom Valley. You can see it on the bottom left up there. Uh, it was Hinnom, it's, it's the Hebrew Hinnom. It's, it's the place where uh, back in Old Testament times they would sacrifice children to the pagan gods. It would be a place of just... Horrible, horrible pagan acts that would, would take place later on. It, because it was such a despised place, they would dump the trash and the refuse. And the, the bodies of criminals would be there. And there would be an eternal fire that was set. And so when Jesus is talking, he's saying, hell is like Gehenna. And they would say, oh, we know what that's like. We know, nobody wants to go there. I, I want us to understand today that the Bible talks a lot about hell. I've asked two people to come up and uh, I just want you to hear because I don't have time for a million cross references this morning, but I just want you to hear from the word of God um, verses throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament on hell. I want you to get just an overwhelming idea of what is going on, what is said in scripture. Some of these are from Jesus and some of them are from other writers. So Chuck, would you just start us off? dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Matthew 10, 28. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul, body, and hell. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew twenty-five, forty-six. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye have, uh, than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where w- their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We're going to stop there. We have a lot more. I'll take those back. Thank you, guys. Um, we just put them over there. That'd be great. I, I want you to hear this. The, the, that's, that's half of the passages that I, I wanted. I, I just want to make sure that we get everything in today. There is this description of hell as a place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the place where worms never die, the fire is never extinguished. Jesus is the one that is talking about this. I want you to hear this morning that Jesus wants us to know about hell. And the the primary passage I want us to go to is Luke 16. So if you can get your Bibles out, Luke 16 is, is a good illustration. It's a good place for us to go. Um, there's this, this verse that showed up though that we just read. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Those who hold to the annihilationist viewpoint would say that God destroys the soul and it's gone and therefore it ceases to exist. That same word for destroy, if you look the chapter before in Luke 15, talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. When it says that they are lost, it's the same word as in the Greek as it is the word destroyed. I believe that God does not destroy the soul as much as that soul is lost forever. And so we look at this and, and we, we read this story. And I want you to look at Luke 16, verse 19. This is the picture. Now, there was a rich man, and he had habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. Very wealthy. Purple was a picture of royalty and wealth. Joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus meaning God is my comfort, was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried. 
in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham from far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Abraham's bosom is a picture of paradise, of heaven, of safety, of security. Now, I want you to understand here that our standing here, your standing, your status here on earth does not guarantee our standing there. We have a rich man who's living it up, having a great life, and at his gate, at his doorstep, a poor man covered in sores, dogs coming by, and this man is just hoping that whatever the food is that's left over, thrown in the trash, the crumbs from his table, the leftovers, would fall to him. They both die. We get a picture of their life here on earth. We get a picture of their death. And now we have a picture of their eternity. And it doesn't line up. See, the thought of the day was, if you were blessed in this life, that you would be blessed in the next life. And Jesus turns the tables. Now, some people would say that this is a parable, but we're naming names here. We have a guy named Lazarus. We talk about Abraham. Later, we're going to talk about Moses. I don't believe that this is just a story that Jesus told. It's not even labeled as a story. I believe that Jesus is trying to give us a picture from a real-life example of what this looks like. So, sometimes we look at our standing and we say, I'm blessed and everything here is okay. I'm going to be okay in the next life to come. And I think that the American church is lulled into thinking that because we are okay and we put in our one hour here on Sunday mornings, that we are going to be fine there. And I don't think that that's the truth. The story goes on in verse 24. He cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Eternity includes both a place of blessing and a place of agony. You read these words and Jesus is the one telling this story saying there is torment and there is agony and there is pain and then there is a place of blessing and security and safety. And he's saying that there's a decision that needs to be made on this side of eternity for us. He says that there's this chasm. Now it's interesting because this chasm between the rich man and Lazarus, that chasm was real life. We have the life of a wealthy man and we have a life of a poor beggar who's diseased. There's a great chasm fixed. Now, all of that could have been changed on this life, but once you get on the other side of death and we are in the unseen supernatural realm, that can't be changed. This chasm is fixed so that those who are over here can't go over there and those who are over here can't go over there. Verse 27, he says, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
They have the, the Old Testament. They have the, the entirety of Scripture at that point. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He's pleading. It's also interesting to me that in Abraham's bosom, there's community. And the rich man is all alone. Hell is the absence of the presence of God. But God is very much in charge of both heaven and hell. One of the passages that we read in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. They are past the point. There is no salvation for them. And for those who do not believe in Jesus, they will go to hell. And it closes in verse 31. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone died and rises from the dead. Now I want you to understand that we are confused in this world. Maybe not us, but I know confused people. I've done funerals for people who we believe because of their faith that they went to heaven. I've done funerals for people who tragically took their own life and never made a confession of faith in Jesus. And the most gut-wrenching, heart-turning part of that is to look at a family in the eyes and they want me to say, I think that they're going to heaven. The best I can ever do is say, I don't know. What is going on in their relationship with Jesus. I can look at the fruit, but the truth is, this is painful for some of you because some of you, probably all of you, every one of us, we have lost somebody, either a close friend or a family member, who we know never put their trust and their faith in Jesus on this side of eternity. And it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture according to my study, that there is any room for doing that after. Some of you can pull out writers who've written multi-million dollar selling books, great pastors and preachers who would disagree with me, and that's okay. Some of you might even be angry and upset. And we live in a world where we can espouse any kind of theory and philosophy, and that's okay but the second that you choose something and you say, this is the one that I believe, then we are no longer able to do that. For every one person that says that they think that they are going to hell because of their actions here on earth, there's 120 others that say that they are going to heaven. If God allowed everyone to die first and then decide whether or not they wanted to trust God, then our faith here right now would be irrelevant. And we look at this and we think God is not fair. I want you to understand that when we look at God and we hold his attributes up, we do say God is loving and God is merciful and God is just. And we want to hold those attributes and they are all true, but somehow God also has other attributes that we don't want to pay attention to. The idea that God is wrath is brought up more than 600 times in the Bible. 
I don't know how God does that. I don't know how he holds everything in perfect balance, but he does. And so we are called to put our trust in God. When we stand before God and then we put ourselves in the place of judging him and his motives and his actions and his thoughts, we are in trouble. We are not the judge. God is the judge. Just a couple quotes. C.S. Lewis is fantastic. If you haven't read The Great Divorce, it's a great book. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Francis Chan wrote a book uh, in response to another book, uh, Rob Bell wrote a book a few years ago called Love Wins, stating that everybody eventually will get to go to heaven, eternity with God. Francis Chan wrote a very compelling book in response, looking at scripture. And he said, Jesus didn't speak of hell so that we could study, debate, and write books about it. He gave us these passages so that we would live holy lives. Sometimes we get stuck in the debate and we forget about Jesus. He goes on to say, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. It was our sin. A righteous and holy God had to do something with our sin. He wouldn't be a just God. We always ask the question. The question is always asked of me. How come everyone doesn't just get to go to heaven? And the better question, the more biblical question is, why doesn't everybody go to hell? I want us to understand the severity. I want us to understand how horrible hell is. Because... God wants to redeem us and to save us. When we use this wording of we're saved, this is, we have to talk about what we are saved from. Not only did Jesus talk about hell, but he provided a way out for us. Jesus provided the way to be saved from hell. In John 3, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, there's only one way to heaven. There are many ways to Jesus, though. We can come to know Jesus through the reading of his word, through hearing the word, There are people all throughout the world in South America and the Middle East that are getting dreams and visions and Jesus is is speaking to people. We're hearing about this. People stand on this stage and they are giving testimony of what God is doing and how he's revealing his son Jesus to them. So there are many ways to Jesus, but there is only one way to heaven. And Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father who is in heaven but through me. Jesus says, I am the way. 
You have to trust in me. Fantastic passage in Acts. Uh, there is salvation. See, we, we just want to sit in the horribleness of hell. And, and what we need to be doing is being called out of hell and, and to be focused on the salvation that Jesus has made for us. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We live in a world where most of the people think that they are going to heaven and that is just not the truth. In Matthew 7, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, but the gate, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It boils down to Take all of the religions of the world, take all of the different philosophies and mindsets, and it comes down to those that are true and those that are false. As my dad and I were talking about this, he says, you have two paths, but both of them are labeled this way to heaven. There are lots of offers on the wide gate that say, come this way. This is paradise. This is the way you ought to go. And then they find out on the other side that their refusal to believe in Jesus ruined them. Um, that, that study that came out this week, it said that we, we, we saw a, an 8% decline, that, that Christianity went from, what, 78% in America to 70%. Um, it's, it's this... This idea of what is Christianity shrinking and then the, the population of those who just don't believe in anything is going up. And, and I believe there, there, there are those who say this isn't that bad. I actually think it's far worse. I read an article this week by a blogger named Matt Walsh. And he responds, and I just want you to hear this. I, I got to close soon. But he says, I think this might shed some light on the latest study trumpeting how the Christian ranks have shrunk by another eight percentage points in the last seven years. Now, there's 70% of Americans who identify themselves as Christians, still a majority, but it is the smallest majority that we have ever had. As atheism and agnosticism surge in popularity, Christianity hemorrhages and fades and he goes on to talk about, he says, it's, it's not just Christianity, but there is a whole section. And I think that 70%, honestly, is far too high. Because there is a whole crowd of people that have bought into this concept of convenient Christianity. That once it comes to suffering, once it comes to my, my freedoms, you look at the, the, the persecuted church around the world, and it is thriving. People are walking to church barefoot, undercover, and trying to get there, and they are not complaining about the noise level, the air conditioning, or the choice of songs in service. They are there to glorify God. And we have a culture here where if it's not convenient for me, then I don't want to have anything to do. You just take those people out, and I believe that our number is far, far less. He goes on to say, that we've been watered down 
as a Christian culture. And that's been the strategy of the American church for decades. Just try not to scare people. Don't take a really hard and fast opinion. Let's try to win people over. They put on this milquetoast, tedious charade, feigning hipness and relevance, aping secular culture in a manner about as cool and current as your science teacher, retelling a Dane Cook joke from nine years ago. Christianity is fading because more and more of our leaders want to steal people from the true faith and deliver them to this convenient version. But that isn't what actual Christians want, and the Christians who do only want it because it doesn't resemble Christianity at all. Those folks eventually figure out that the only thing more secular than Christian secularism is secular secularism. And there's really no reason to choose the former over the latter. The transition from convenient Christianity to agnosticism continues unabated. We're told that Christianity is declining because Christians are too religious, too bold, too outspoken, too moral, and too firm in their beliefs. That's the conventional wisdom, but we've seen a thousand times over the conventional wisdom of an unwise society should never be taking taken seriously. We in the church in America are taking our cues from society and we are listening to them and we are changing our strategy. And I want you to hear C.S. Lewis said it best because he said we are fighters and soldiers in the faith. Paul talks about this all of the time, but our mindset is wrong. C.S. Lewis says enemy occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. We are in a war against the devil himself. There's a psalmist that says, Praise you, O Lord, my rock, who trained my hands for war. In this unseen supernatural realm, there is a fight for our souls. Some of you are going to hell. I hate saying that. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one deciding that. But I want to make sure that we aren't believing that we're going to heaven, but our form of Christianity and following Jesus is just very convenient for us. What does it look like for us as a church to be pursuing Jesus as a community and reaching out and rescuing and telling the lost that there's another way? Next week we'll talk about heaven is for real, but I want you to hear today that hell is for real too. So if you are not sure and you could have been coming to this church for the last 25 or 50 years and just been conveniently following Jesus. But I want you to hear today, he's provided a way of salvation that you might be saved. There is no other name under heaven that you can call upon. It's not your good deeds, it's not your acts, it's not your, your status in this world It is because of your relationship with Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2, it says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That that word faith in the Hebrew 
is, is emunah. It's not faith. It's like this one-time occurring event that happens sometime back in your life. That word is better translated, faithfulness. It's our, our faithfulness to following Jesus every single day. So if you have not made that decision, if you are unclear about what happens to you after you die, then today can be the day of your salvation. Do not walk out of the doors here and not be sure of that. I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to close this morning and we're going to be worshiping God. And my prayer and my hope is that we are doing that with all of our hearts. That we are coming before Him and we are singing a song of praise knowing that we are going to continue this song in eternity. Will you join me? God, we thank you for your incredible love that you would send Jesus, your son, to this earth so that we might be saved. Help us this morning to put our faith in you and then to live faithfully. Help us to know with certainty that you are the one to follow and that there is everlasting life and that there is everlasting pain and torment and punishment. God, confirm in our hearts, help us this morning to honor you and to glorify you in everything that we do. Help us to not be fooled. Help us to not be deceived into thinking that we have it and we don't. So speak to us now. In Jesus' name.